Welcome to another episode of CLRNN Cast, the podcast series for CLRNN. Today, CLRNN is in conversation with Mr. Dele Alabi, an award-winning chartered stockbroker, accountant, tax practitioner, and banker. Mr. Alabi has several decades of diverse experience in the banking industry, having worked in various areas, including treasury and financial institutions, strategy and business development, corporate banking, finance, controls and risk management functions across the Ecobank Group. He also has country supervision and management experience, having been the pioneer managing director for Ecobank Uganda from its inception in January 2009 till August 2011. Mr. Labi is the incumbent managing director for the Ecobank Transnational Incorporated Specialized Finance Company, Mauritius. He is the president of the West African Bankers Association Nigerian chapter, as well as the national treasurer of the Chartered Institute of Bankers of Nigeria. Mr. Labi joins us from Lagos, Nigeria. You're welcome to CLRNN cast, Mr. Alabi. I wonder if we could start by looking at the state of the Nigerian banking sector in the lead up to the COVID-19 pandemic and oil crisis. Thank you very much. Let me provide a brief um, overview of the insights into the Nigerian banking sector over the last four years leading up to the period of the crisis. Nigeria experienced economic recession between 2016 and 2017. And during this period of economic recession, the banking sector in Nigeria faced many challenges. This was a period when the sector experienced significant FX scarcity and Nigerian banks defaulted in meeting their obligations on bills and letters of credits. So Nigerian banks had to restructure the maturing base and letters of credits working with the international banks. And it was largely because the Central Bank of Nigeria was rationing FX and they did not have the capacity to satisfy the huge appetite of Nigerian banks for FX. At some point within that period, the CBN had to intervene by holding meetings with international banks to provide them with support and also with comfort that things will be resolved as quickly as possible. By 2018, when Nigeria got out of the economic recession, the banking sector began to stabilize. By 2019, the sector began to record some tapered growth. And if you look at what happened in 2019 in terms of the growth recorded by the banking sector, there was growth in terms of the balance sheet footing, liquidity, capital base, revenue, and profitability. Let me also share with you a couple of other major developments within the four years leading up to the crisis period. Nigerian banks in the recent past decided to move away from the traditional brick and and mortar structure and embrace more of technology and digitization. So the period witnessed the closure of physical branches, and banks had to convince the CBN to approve the closure of branches. Historically, the CBN was averse to banks shutting branches, but banks were able to convince the CBN that the way to go is digitization and 
automated banking. So banks shifted into online, online transactions and they encouraged their customers to embrace ATM transactions, POS transactions, mobile money, and all other technology-enabled transactions. So we witnessed a significant increase in the quantum and velocity of online transactions in the country leading up to the crisis. So in summary, I would say that the banking sector moved within that period from a challenging environment into an era of stability, then into an era of transformation and strategic initiatives being undertaken by the banks. I'm going to pick up on a couple of the issues that you raised. One would be the defaulting on letters of credit and the need to restructure loans. And one of the main issues that the Nigerian banking sector has been dealing with following the several rounds of crisis that we've had has been the treatment of non-performing loans. How has the central bank approached the regulation of non-performing loans in Nigeria? The CBN has been very bullish in terms of ensuring that banks effectively manage their NPL books. And they've come up with certain regulatory guidelines to ensure that that objective is achieved. First, the CBN has stipulated that the maximum NPL ratio that banks should have should be 5%. The NPL ratios for banks should be capped at 5%. The CBN also periodically examines banks. So they, they have what they call both the on-site examination where they physically go to banks to review their books. And they also have what they call off-site examination where they electronically, based on the reports and the returns submitted by banks, they also review the balance sheet of banks. And during the review, one of the major areas that they focus on, apart from capital, is actually the loan book. One of the things the central bank has also done is to encourage banks to closely watch their loan book and to classify their loan book into defined categories in order to ensure that there is no deterioration in the quality of the loan portfolio. So we have some categories like they have the watch list, they have the substandard, they have doubtful, and they have lost. The central bank has a global view of what is happening in terms of the portfolio of every bank. They have also encouraged banks not to wait till a loan is non-performing before they pay attention to those loans. So basically, they've also introduced the concept of past due obligations, PDOs, which are loans that have not yet been classified because they have not yet hit the trigger for classification, but they have begun to show some amber lights in terms of non-performance. Those are so I will say that the CBN has actually placed very close attention to banks in terms of managing the MPL book and also in terms of managing their overall loan portfolio. Another part that I'd like to pick up on is the issue of capitalization, which is an issue that we all knew very well in the 2004 to 2005 uh, era. And the incumbent governor of the Central Bank of Nigeria has mooted the idea of a recapitalization of banks as a result of the changes in the value of Naira, which has impacted the value of the capitalization of banks presently. And last June, 
Mr. Emefiele set out his five-point agenda for improving economic growth in Nigeria, reducing inflation and, you know, bringing us to a double-digit growth. And the very first prong of that was achieving domestic, macroeconomic and financial stability. It was within this that the issue of the recapitalization of banks came about. Could you talk to us about, you know, the state of health of the capital of banks in Nigeria, the tier one capital, as well as their move towards shoring up their tier two capital? The issue of capital is very critical for banks because capital provides absorption capacity for shocks and for balance sheet issues, balance sheet problems. Again, the level of capital of a bank will determine the capacity of the bank to support the macroeconomy. And that was why the CBN came up with those guidelines in terms of how banks should operate going forward on capitalization. Now, capital base determines what you call the single obligor limits that banks work with. The single obligor limit is the maximum amount of loans that a bank can grant a customer. So the higher the capital base, the higher is the single obligor limit as well, and invariably the higher the ability of that bank to support the economy. That is where the issue of capital comes into play. Also, because we have seen an increase in the NPA ratios for banks, capital also provides a shock for absorbing those non-performing loans, the losses that could accrue from those MPLs. So capital is really, really very core. And again, the central bank in rolling out its agenda had indicated that they want to focus on the real sector of the economy of Nigeria. And basically, we're looking at areas like agriculture, manufacturing, and infrastructure development. Now, these are areas where massive amounts of funds are required in order to jumpstart development in those areas. And the central, the dream of the CBN governor is to ensure that Nigerian banks also contribute to the economic growth and development of Nigeria and that Nigerian banks have enough capital base to be able to support the real sector, to be able to su- support the growth areas that Nigeria wants to focus on to be able to support the development of infrastructure, to be able to support the growth of agriculture, which employs the largest percentage of Nigerians, and also to be able to support the core sector. So it is something that the central bank is, is focusing on a lot. Capital is further broken down, like you have said, into tier one and tier two capital. What Nigerian banks have done is that from a tier one perspective, some of the tier one banks have actually done well in terms of tier one capital. And again, what the central bank has done is to categorize bank into tiers based on a set of criteria, which includes, among others, capital, balance sheet base, and so on and so forth. What Nigerian banks have done, particularly the tier one banks, is not only to strengthen their tier one capital, but they have also gone ahead to broaden their tier two capital base. That's why you see that over the last five years, Nigerian banks have gone into the eurobond market to raise tier two capital. And the beauty of it is that the few banks that have been able to raise tier two capital in the eurobond market have performed very well to the extent that some of them have actually liquidated 
these bonds before they matured. So I will say that there are still some concerns in terms of the level of capitalization of Nigerian banks, particularly given the rising NPL book. But I believe that Nigerian banks have the capacity to raise capital in the euro bond market to show up whatever deficiency they have in terms of their capitalization levels. That's very interesting. Of course, we will return to this rising NPL books. But I just want to bring up quickly before we move to the pandemic, one more issue that raises concern in the Nigerian economy, and that's about access to credit. One of the greatest challenges that companies have in Nigeria is access to credit. And if we looked at the financial information about Nigeria, we find that in terms of access to credit, we've performed much lower than the global average. How do banks approach you know, their obligation to finance companies in Nigeria? And what are the key challenges, essentially, that prevent banks from supporting the real economy? And is the regulatory framework that the CBN set in place sufficient to ensure that banks actually support companies within the Nigerian commercial sector? It's, it's been a major challenge. You're right when you say that if you look at the global markets, if you compare Nigerian banks to the global banks, access to credit is actually not the greatest in Nigeria, particularly for the MSMEs and also in the consumer space. What has historically happened in Nigeria for the Nigerian banks is that they've typically stratified the economy into three categories. The top tier sector of the economy, which is where we have the large corporates like the Unilevers, the Nestle Foods, the Shells and Co. The middle tier sector, which is basically the, the MSMEs, we categorize that to be the MSMEs, and also we have the consumer space, the consumer banking, which is likely individual as the retail sector. Now, what banks had done, Nigerian banks had done historically, was to concentrate their lending more to the corporate end of the market because of the perceived huge capacity of the corporates to repay the loans when they fall due. So historically, Nigerian banks had sort of de-emphasized historically, de-emphasized the MSMEs and also the consumer bank space. But things have changed in the recent past. Things have changed because margins have continued to thin out in the corporate end. So the corporate entities have continued to reduce the interest rate that they, were, they are willing to pay to banks. In fact, at some point, the corporate entities decided to equate their risk with the Nigerian sovereign risk. They were insisting to the banks that they will only borrow at the sovereign risk borrowing rate, which was basically the, risk, the rate at which Nigeria borrows in the market, the rate on the treasury bills, the GTS securities. So at that point, banks had to wake up to the realization that the strategy of lending largely, of skiing lending to the corporate, to the top tier sector of the economy was no longer sustainable. That was when banks started looking at the MSMEs and also the consumer side of the business. And the banks have now also subsequently discovered that margins are higher in these two other sectors. In fact, banks have also now discovered that the historical loss norms for these two sectors are not as high as they perceived. So we have scenario where banks thought, Nigerian banks thought that if they, if they had exposed themselves to the MSMEs and the consumers, that they were going to lose a lot of money. But 
actual results have proven that because they are lending to more customers, because they have a more diversified portfolio, they are able to have a natural hedge for the risk inherent in that portfolio. So over the last couple of years, again, leading up to the, to the crisis, Nigerian banks have diversified their lending more to accommodate both the MSMEs and the consumer stroke retail market. Are we there in terms of where we should be? No, we're not yet there. But we have seen a progressive movement compared to what we had in prior years. And the future of banking in Nigeria, I dare say, is actually to focus more on the risk sector, for banks to focus more on MSMEs, and for banks to focus more on the consumer stroke retail segment of the market. That is the only way by which banks can continue to operate profitably in the foreseeable future. Also, from a central bank, from a CBN perspective, my recommendation is that CBN increase the cash reserve requirement, CRR, from 22.5% to 27.5% in January this year. So as to speak, a significant amount of liquidity is actually locked up with the central bank. So in order to complement their goals of reflating the economy, I believe that the CBN has to relax. They have to adopt a more relaxed stance in terms of monetary policies, and they have to progressively and systematically release some of the locked-up liquidity in terms of CRR and liquidity ratio to the banks so that banks can in turn support the risk sector of the Nigerian economy more. We want to come back now to the current crisis. As we all know, we have two crises that are interwined at the moment. We have the COVID-19 pandemic and we have the oil crisis, which have been impacted by the COVID-19, as well as the OPEC plus negotiation. What has been the effect then of the COVID-19 pandemic and the oil crisis on the banking sector in Nigeria? Because our banking sector is very much exposed, isn't it? Yes, it's really, really exposed. And I totally agree with you that the impact of, of COVID-19 and the oil crisis have been profound on the banking industry. By February, late February stroke early March 2020, when Nigeria recorded its first set of positive corona, coronavirus cases, the country was hit by what I call twin shocks, which we have described as being intertwined. Twin shocks in terms of the oil crisis on one end and also the coronavirus crisis on the other hand. But you see, the interesting thing about Nigeria is that there was a third element to it, which again you have alluded to. And the third element is that the production capacity of the country in terms of the oil and gas industry continued to decline. And for 2020, for example, the budgeted production level for crude oil based on the 2020 approved budget is 2.2 million barrels per day. But running up to the period of the crisis, the production, the actual production level for Nigeria was on the average between 1.8 and 1.9 million barrels per day. Of course, this situation was further worsened by the OPEC agreement on, on, on oil, oil production costs, which again resulted in Nigeria being constrained to cap its production capacity or actual production to between 1.4 and 1.5 million barrels per day. So Nigeria has been hit on the two variables that generate the most significant revenue for the country. 
the two variables are the output and the price. So we've been hit at the price level because of the dwindling oil prices. We've also been hit at the output level because of a combination of capacity, lack of capacity to produce based on what we, have, what we had anticipated or budgeted for, and also because of the exogenous variables. And when I say exogenous variables, that is the impact of OPEC, which Nigeria doesn't have control on. Now, the impact of these shocks have been really very profound for the banking industry. First, there are growing concerns about the quality of the loan portfolio of some banks due to the weakening capacity of obligors to meet their repayment obligations. Again, if we look at the composition of the loan portfolio in, in the banking sector of Nigeria, over 30% of the loan book is in the oil and gas industry, which has been hit by the twin shocks. So clearly, the loan book of most of the Nigerian banks are actually suspect because of the challenges that we have. I would give an example to demonstrate this point. After the crisis, at least 17 Nigerian banks in the country have sought approval from the central bank to restructure about 32,000 customer loans. And these 32,000 customer loans, by the time we quantify it in volume terms, account for about 33% of the loan portfolio of the banking sector. So it is really a major, major issue. Again, if you look at it from the perspective of FX, a major source of concern for, for the Nigerian banking sector now is, is what I call the FS risk. And when I'm talking about FS risk, I'm not talking about FS risk only in terms of the exchange rate volatility risk or the potential devaluation of the Naira, which is an issue. But I'm also talking in terms of the availability of FX. What we have seen over the last couple of months is a scenario where some foreign investors wanted to get out, but they could not get out on time because the central bank was not intervening as periodically, as frequently as they used to intervene in the markets. In fact, it has been projected by Moody's that the consolidated bank's foreign currency funding gap in the banking sector in Nigeria will rise to about $5 billion by the end of this year on account of the low oil prices, volatile inflows, and lower remittances. Apart from FX risk, and from an FX risk perspective, the question that comes into mind is, are we going back to the era of the 2016, 2017? No, it is not that bad because the CBN has enough capacity to be able to supply the market or satisfy the demand of the market. It's only that the CBN has not demonstrated the full willingness, but they do have the capacity. If you look at the reserves, which is over $36 billion, they actually have the capacity. But CBN is just being very prudent, being cautious in the process of intervening in the market. Another area, another impact that we need to also talk about is the financial performance of banks. Banks have now been impacted in terms of revenue, in terms of liquidity, in terms of profitability. So going forward, in my view, it is banks that have huge liquidity and profitability buffers that will be kings in the banking sector in Nigeria. Then again, let's look at it from the perspective of the sovereign risk of Nigeria. Recently, as at March 2020, S&P downgraded the country's sovereign risk rating by a notch from B stable to B minus. 
Fitch, another top rating agency, also follows suit in April 2020 to also downgrade the Nigerian sovereign risk rating from B to B minus. Now, this negative trend in terms of sovereign risk rating also has a critical impact on Nigerian banks because there is a correlation between the sovereign risk rating and the ratings of banks. And every bank cannot have a better risk rating than the sovereign risk. This has also translated into either declining or flat financial performance of banks. Because again, really, if you look at it, the classical, the conventional wisdom is that there is a positive correlation between the country's macroeconomic fundamentals and the performance of banks in that economy. And an empirical evidence to support it is if you look at, I've been watching the capital markets in Nigeria, they have been watching the performance of the key banks that are listed on the floor of the Nigeria Stock Exchange. What we have seen is a situation where the banks that have declared their results so far have either recorded a slight growth in terms of their indices, a decline or a flattening in terms of their financial performance. I think that this trend will continue for the remaining part of this year. Now let's look at the response that the real sector as well as the banking industry have received. I will start from the macro to the micro and I will start from the federal government perspective. The federal government of Nigeria, having realized the significant negative impact of these twin shocks to the country, set up what they called an economic sustainability committee which was added by the Vice President of Nigeria, Vice President Oshibajo, to come up with palliatives to take Nigeria out of the challenges that we are experiencing as a result of COVID-19 and the oil crisis. Now, so what has happened is that the CBN, in order to reflate the economy and mitigate the impact of these shocks, have been working very closely with that committee and they have introduced some strong monetary, fiscal, and prudential policies. I'll just highlight a couple of them. First, there was an establishment of a 500 billion Naira, which is like $1.4 billion crisis intervention fund. Second, about $150 million was drawn from the Nigerian Sovereign Investment Authority Stabilization Fund to support critical sectors of the economy. Third, the CBM provides regulatory forbearance in terms of assessing loans to companies significantly impacted by the virus. The CBN allowed the banks to grant moratorium to those firms, both in terms of repayment and also to, uh, to restructure those existing loans. And finally, a 1.1 trillion Naira, which is approximately $3 billion intervention fund, was established to cushion the adverse effects of the coronavirus crisis in the country. The incentives announced by both the federal government and the central bank have encouraged banks to restructure facilities to their customers. Like I stated earlier, 17 banks have leveraged on these incentives to restructure about 32,000 customer loans, which accounts for about one-third of the total loan portfolio of the banking sector in Nigeria. So I will say that there has been a relatively good response to the COVID-19 crisis and the oil crisis, both from the perspective of the federal government and also from the perspective of the CBN. And the banks have also latched onto those incentives to provide some soft landing for their customers. 
That's interesting. Let's talk about the borrowers with international development partners. Have the Nigerian banks been successful in negotiating concessions for Nigerian borrowers? In terms of the borrowers with international development partners, there are basically two ways by which Nigerian banks intermediate between their customers and international development partners. The first way is through what we call on lending, whereby the international development partners provide the funding which the Nigerian banks on lend to their customers. So which means in that scenario, the Nigerian banks are not using their balance sheet to lend to their customers. They are using the funding provided by international, the international development partners to lend to their customers. And therefore, they only charge some fees for providing the, the services. Now, the second way by which Nigerian banks intermediate between their, their customers, their borrowers, and, and international development partners is through what we call a guarantee structure. Under this arrangement, the international development partners would provide 100% of partial guarantee to the Nigerian banks in respect of their exposure to their customers. Now, whether it is through alternative one or alternative two, the ultimate objective of the intervention of the international development partners in the lending space in Nigeria is to ensure that one, the targeted sectors have access to funding, and two, that the cost of borrowing by these targeted sectors is reduced significantly. What has happened post-COVID is that some smart Nigerian banks have approached these international development partners to explain to them that because of the COVID-19 challenges, their customers, the borrowers are also facing challenges. They've also explained to these international development partners the incentives, the monetary guidelines that have been provided by the CBN, having recognized, being the regulatory authority, having recognized what is happening in the local environment. And what has happened is that the international development partners have also understood that what is happening in Nigeria is not just a local, a country phenomenon. It's a global phenomenon. So they have been very cooperative in terms of also giving palliatives to the borrowers and also extending incentives and allowing the banks to restructure facilities as, as may be required. Tune in next week for the second and concluding part of this insightful interview. Our guest has been Mr. Delia Labi, Managing Director, Ecobank Transnational Incorporated Specialized Finance Company, Mauritius. You can follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, or check out our website at clrnn.net.